Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, February 17th, 2015. Now, despite the fact that I'm traveling to Fort Lauderdale for the Liberate Conference, my hope is to have an almost normal week of fighting for the faith. I'll give the details here in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Why? Well, because there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we demonstrate by using sound biblical exegesis that people aren't actually paying attention to what God's Word says, they're not teaching sound doctrine, and it doesn't matter if they are popular pastors or teachers or conference speakers or authors or people put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, those whom we need to be purchasing their books and all that kind of stuff. Over and again, we demonstrate that what these people are saying when they open up God's Word is not what God's Word says. Now, one of the things we also do is demonstrate that, well, God's Word does mean things, and it's not hard to actually get it when you put things back into context and you use sound biblical exegesis and you interpret Scripture the way Scripture actually tells you how to interpret Scripture. Now, real quick, this uh, this week is a little bit of a modified week. Yesterday was uh, technically a, a holiday, but I didn't take a holiday. I ended up doing a very long sermon review uh, in exposing... Andy Stanley's Da Vinci Code-like mangling of church history in order for him to continue to propagate this mythology that somehow uh, God has uh, come, Jesus has come in order to eliminate and get rid of the temple model. And that means get rid of, get rid of uh, sacred spaces, sacred men, sacred texts. And the only thing that really matters is is just, you know, loving each other. And um, wow. That was um, quite an abomination that we heard yesterday on Fighting for the Faith, and so I ended up not taking the day off and, and putting that in. Now, let's talk about what we're going to do for the rest of the week. Today, normal episode. Tomorrow will not be a light episode. We'll do a normal episode tomorrow. My intention, and uh, I have to kind of leave it at that, it, it really depends upon my schedule. Um, midweek services begin at my uh, church as we uh, lead up towards uh, Easter, uh, this week. So my pastoral duties and my duties as radio talk show hosts have created uh, quite a workflow 
for me at the moment. It's going to be crazy until uh, the week after Easter. Hopefully things will settle down after that. But anyway, so this week I'm traveling to Fort Lauderdale. And um, and so on Friday, the intention is so Wednesday, not Wednesday, Thursday, light episode, if I have the time to finish the uh, the post-production work on it. And that's it looks like I'll be able to. But uh, there's some things that have got to fall in place to make that happen. If there is no episode on Thursday, there will be on Friday and it will be kind of light. And the reason why is what we're doing is we're recording the um, the the panel discussion that we're having at the Liberate Conference, myself, Tully and Chavidian, uh, Rod Rosenblatt, and uh, Daniel Emery Price, and we're talking about the need for the gospel, you know, for the gospel to be preached to Christians. You know, can you th- can you believe that? And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about, and we're going to record that and uh, air it on Friday's episode of Fighting for the Faith. That will be the whole episode. So a little bit of a modified week this week, but let's talk about what we're doing today. On today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to highlight a few things. Um, Particularly, we're going to take a look at uh, several examples, although one example isn't quite like that. Um, Several examples of taking God's word and just ignoring what the text says in order to talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> this is a this is not quite narcissism. Narcissistic eisegesis, by the way, that's what narcissism is. It's a squishing together of two words, almost like Greek, because you know Greek is like Legos. You know the Greek language is like Legos. You can take words and 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 create these really long words by sticking together shorter words. And it's interesting how Greek works. So we're we're doing this kind of in a similar way, the way the Greek language works. Narcissism is narcissism and eisegesis stuck together. Eisegesis is reading things into the biblical text that that are not there. And narcissistic eisegesis is reading your self-love, the love of yourself, into a biblical text. But uh, what we're going to be highlighting in several uh, segments today is not reading yourself into a biblical text, but kind of just reading a biblical text that has nothing to do whatsoever with what it is that you're talking about. And so it's, it's related to narcissistic eisegesis, but it's, uh, I think this is what, um, pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, calls the heresy two-step. You know, you, you, you basically, the, it's a dance move. If you would, you, uh, you speak a biblical text. And so there it is. And then while no one's looking, you back up from the text and then you shimmy to the right or you shimmy to the left and you just start talking about what you want to talk about. And it could be yourself or whatever. But uh, we'll, we'll have a couple of examples of that in uh, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, including the sermon review. So let's talk about how we're going to uh, unfold the, uh, uh, the program today. We're going to begin with uh, adding a new person, if you would to the greater Patricia King gang. Although she doesn't broadcast on Patricia King's network, she's of the same stripe, the same ilk as a Patricia King. And uh, this is a woman by the name of Amanda Wells, and she's uh, quite the up-and-comer down there in uh, in uh, Australia, New Zealand, and, uh, you know, signs and wonders and things like that. Although I've, I've seen evidence that uh, some of the things that she's told about her life, stories that she's told about her life, may have been embellished as much as Ergen Kanner embellished you know, the stories about his uh, life prior to becoming a Christian. So, uh, But uh, more news on that as that story unfolds. But uh, So we're going to be listening to her explaining to us prophetic insights, prophetic insights. We'll switch gears. And by the way, yes, it's absolutely true that Patricia King has started her own web 
church or television church, and it's the Shiloh Fellowship. And this week uh, at the Shiloh Fellowship, uh, Robert Hodgkin of the Patricia King Gang, um, <clears throat> well, yeah, he was doing the preaching. So we're going to take a listen to the sermon from Shiloh um, yeah, and uh, review a little bit of what Robert Hodgkin said there. We'll switch gears after the break. Um, well, somewhere in there we'll take a break. Um, we're going to be listening to Steve Muncy. Yeah, Steve Muncy recently appeared on Benny Hinn's program, This Is Your Day. Oh, it's your day. You're looking for a miracle while you've come to the right place. And uh, Steve Muncy is going to prophetically, if you would, buttress the claims regarding Benny Hinn's healing ministry. And no joke, uh, Steve Muncy is going to compare <clears throat> Benny Hinn to none other than the Apostle Paul himself. So there's there's quite a bit of that going on. Although I I thought that Jack Hayford was the Apostle Paul and Robert Morris was the fourth member of the Trinity. I do recall something like that being aired here at Fighting for the Faith. But uh, yeah, you kind of get the idea of where that's going. And then in hour number two, we're going to head down to C3 Church uh, out there in Australia and listen to the prophet Phil Pringle. Um, supposedly uh, preach something that has something loosely to do with the book of Ezekiel. And and like I said, this will be a great example of um, reading a biblical text and then just talking about whatever it is that you want to talk about. And then he's going to relay for us, if, if you really like story time, he's going to relay for us a story where, uh, you know, he had an angelic encounter. And um, I, I think I need to put uh, the words, he had an angelic encounter in air quotes, you know what I mean? But uh, that will round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And uh, and since we're going to be beginning with kind of, in fact, I'm, I'm almost thinking I need to rename this this group because the reality is I cheat. Is you know, although we're going to call this a Patricia King Gang update, it's it's become so much bigger than the Patricia King Gang itself. Uh, that uh, it's becoming a catch-all for kind of loony, uh, bizarre, nonsensical, not even true, uh, uh, you know, embellished so-called gifts of the spirit. But uh, I'll have to kind of rethink that. If you can think of any ideas of you know for renaming the Patricia King gang, I I would entertain them. And you can send them via email, or you can put them uh, on my uh, Facebook wall if you have any ideas along those lines. But uh, since we're starting off with that, here we go. So are you looking for prophetic insights? Oh, you know, I look for them all the time. In fact, I find them all over the Internet. Well, you're in luck today because Amanda Wells, an up-and-comer, kind of in the loose Patricia King gang sense, is um, <laughs> on her YouTube channel sharing with us the keys to understanding prophetic insights and, and sharing some prophetic insights of her own. So without any further ado, here is Amanda Wells. Hi, I'm Amanda Wells, and today I want to bring you a few prophetic insights. I'm so glad you're doing this because, you know, I've been looking for some myself. So many people have asked me about prophets and prophetic people. What's the difference between a seer and a prophet? And if I can just round some things off for you in just a couple of minutes, I hope I can give you some answers. The one thing we do have to understand, though... When we give a prophetic word or see something, we must remember as human beings, we are fallible. Ah, so when we get a prophetic word, we must remember as human beings that we are fallible. 
That's a weird disclaimer. You know, what's the difference between a seer and a prophet? That's one of the things she says she's going to talk about. And, you know, what about prophetic people and you know, prophetic insights? And, and the first thing out of her mouth is a disclaimer. And uh, the disclaimer is, oh, that we as prophetic people, well, we're fallible. So don't expect us to always get it right. But see, that's the weird thing is, is that, well, God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed that um, if somebody is claiming to be a prophet then 100% of what they say, thus saith the Lord, actually has to be correct. But, um, yeah, how do I know this? Deuteronomy chapter 18 gives us the biblical standard here. But here's what it says, Deuteronomy 18.20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, will that same prophet shall die, by the way, you know, the death penalty in the theocracy of Israel back in the day uh, for false prophets. Uh, unfortunately, though, Israel <clears throat> didn't uh, execute this law the way they should have, and, um, and false prophets led them astray you know, throughout the history of Israel. But anyway, um, the statute was that uh, if somebody speaks falsely and uses God's name, which, by the way, is what it means to take the Lord's name in vain, that, you know, so God here says that someone who's speaking presumptuously a word that he has not commanded them to speak, and then goes the obvious question comes up, well, how do we know somebody's speaking presumptuously something God has not commanded them to speak? Well, here's what it says. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true... That is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. So here's the idea. Anyone claiming to you know, be receiving prophetic insights directly from God the Holy Spirit, if they're not accurate 100% of the time, they're speaking presumptuously. They're speaking words they have not heard from God the Holy Spirit. In other words, you know that they're not a prophet plain and simple. And if what they're saying gives us extra biblical revelation, well, <laughs> he, and, you know, regarding doctrines and things that we're supposed to be believing, well, then you know that they're not a true prophet. If they're speaking words that come from God that contradict the written word of God, then we know that they are not a prophet. So here, Amanda Wells, in talking about prophetic people, the first thing on these prophetic insights is, listen, they're fallible, they're fallible. So don't, don't expect us to be perfect. Well, that see, the thing is, is that never stopped the prophets of old from being right 100% of the time. And they were sinful and fallible people, too. So how is it that the prophets of old got it right 100% of the time They, if they were truly prophets of God? It's real simple. Because there was no doubt as to whether or not what they were hearing was actually from God, the Holy Spirit. The Lord was speaking to them in such a clear and unambiguous way that there was no doubt in their mind that they were actually hearing from God. And so when somebody claims to be receiving prophetic insights and prophecies from God, and they're not exactly... Uh, Able to quite know for sure if that's... Well, then you know that person's a false prophet. We continue. And the other thing is God doesn't speak um, our language. So oh, yeah. So what, what language does he speak, Amanda? If you understand what I mean. He has his own language. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. The, the language of God. And the language that God speaks is the language of symbols... And parables. Uh, the language of symbols and parables, really. Uh huh. Weird. So God's not capable of speaking English. 
metaphors. You can see that Jesus did this all through the New Testament and even through the Old Testament. It was always in parables and symbols and metaphors. Uh So what about, you know, like when God told us the history of, you know, the creation, the flood, the fall of man, the promise of the the seed that would crush the head of the serpent, uh, the story of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Moses, the Exodus, uh, the stories of King David, um, the sto- yeah, y- y- Solomon, yeah, the the fall of Israel into apostasy, the prophet Jeremiah, and all that kind of stuff. How is it that so much of the you know of like the Bible itself, like so much of it, is not in analogies or parables or symbols, but so much of it is actually in just plain ordinary, well, Hebrew in the Old Testament and plain and ordinary Greek. In the uh, in the new in yet scripture, you know, it says in Second uh, Timothy four or three, sorry, Second Timothy three, that all scripture is theonoustos, God breathed. It's weird. <laughs> you know, so here she, we got these qualifiers. Okay, about prophet, prophetic people. Okay, uh, they're 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 fallible because they're human beings, and and you got to understand, understanding God is so complicated because He doesn't speak uh, he, when He speaks His own language. It's it's never just straightforward, but it's always in parables and metaphors and stuff. Oh, and by the way, um, Jesus actually gives the reason why he spoke in parables in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. It's so that people wouldn't understand him. It's not that that, he didn't say, well, that's because that's my native language, you know, and I'm God in human flesh. No, he did that so that people wouldn't understand him. And prior to that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus preached and taught pretty straightforward. In fact, Jesus was quite an eloquent communicator, and he uh, was able to communicate in the language of his day and be understood quite readily. (laughs) <laughs> we continue. Reason for this, because our soul, which is it's brought to maturity by the age of between the age of two to seven, yeah. our soul only understands metaphors, parables, and symbols. Uh-huh. So the reason that God only the, the language of God is in parables, metaphors, and symbols is because our soul, which doesn't come to maturity until <laughs> between two and seven, you said. <laughs> Where does God's word say that? Uh, it only understands those things. Uh-huh, right, uh-huh, sure. Yeah, where did you get this information from? Oh, yeah, you're a fallible person who claims to be a prophet, so you got all of this insight, not from God's word, from what apparently you think God told you. That's why you can remember a fairy tale, but if I asked you to remember a story or a book that you read when you were about 14, unless it was something that impacted you profoundly you probably can't remember and you certainly wouldn't be able to remember it like you could rattle off uh, the ugly duckling or cinderella etc it's because of our soul jesus said love the lord your god with all of your soul and all of your mind yeah he did but he never said that you don't understand straightforward language you only understand parable metaphor and whatever the subconscious and the conscious and jesus wants to talk to our subconscious our soul now when we're talking about the prophetic there are really two streams uh-huh. there are two rivers you could say and one of those rivers that we could call that come out of the the throne of god the river of god two two streams one the first one is called nabi n-a-b-i-y in hebrew She doesn't know Hebrew. And it's the prophetic anointing that tends to be more audible and verbal and is more communicative 
in its delivery. Uh -huh. You will find that people who have this kind of delivery work really well in leadership teams. Now, the other river or stream is what we can call a seer. And I haven't got the, the Hebrew word for that. I might bring it to you next time. Oh, please. And this do. involves the visual. They often receive information at one time, but share it later. Now, remember that the, the most important and single most characteristics of true prophetic people is that they have stood in the counsel of God and declare what they hear or what they see. And so the purpose of prophecy, whether it's audible, whether it's visual, uh, whichever it is, is to reveal the glorious wonders of Jesus Christ and God's purpose in each generation as well as bring an awareness of eternity. And so we have the, the one stream that is prophetic, which is audible, which is where they, they, they really hear and speak, the other stream, which is more visual, and they see dreams and have visions, and then it's very metaphorical, and so they have to be able to learn to discern it well. Now, dreamers and visionaries, often their sphere is very small. It's primarily quite private and personal in nature. And these prophetic people have a sphere of influence that is much smaller than the audible and, and the one who is verbal. Not always, but um, a, a lot of the times. Now, there are different types of prophets or prophetic people. So let's look at them. Number one is the dreamers and the visionaries. Yeah, the uh, dreamers and visionaries, the false prophets, you mean. Talked about those. And an example of that is John Paul Jackson. The second one is prophets who proclaim God's corporate purpose. Yeah, by the way, we uh, demonstrated on an earlier episode this year of Fighting for the Faith that John Paul Jackson um, is a false prophet. He prophesied literally the destruction of, uh, well, a volcanic eruption in the Pacific Northwest back in 2011. And he said it was imminent, and it never happened. I think if it happened, people would have known about it. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things that, you know, like if Mount Rainier blew up, people in the Pacific Northwest and around the world generally and in the United States for sure would have heard about it. Anyway, I, I think you get the idea. And where is she getting all this information for all these different types and strands and, you know, nuances of the different kinds of types of prophetic pro prophets and seers and prophetic people and stuff? Well, she's alluding to the Hebrew language, but uh, she hasn't demonstrated this from any biblical text that actually says any of the things that she's saying. And um, mm -hmm. and uh, so, listen, Amanda Wells and people like her and the Patricia King gang, they're not really hearing from God. They haven't really sat in the heavenlies in the council of God, and they're not really truly conveying to us what they've received while they're out there in the, you know, up in the heavenlies. No, these are people who are speaking presumptuously, claiming to be speaking a word from God, that God never spoke. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we, we've got uh, several things we got to get to, including getting to 
to uh, Benny Hinn, as well as the Shiloh Web Church for uh, Patricia King, uh, Robert Hodgkin preaching. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. from the boss. The good news, gentlemen, is that our soul quotas are up by about 50% this year alone. The bad news is that we have to try harder. We're getting awfully close to Armageddon, and it's everyone's responsibility to do their worst. As we all know, the major culprit responsible for our blistering success is the continued decline of biblical intelligence amongst American evangelicals. They're just begging to be led astray by false doctrines. We barely have to try anymore. It's actually kind of depressing. Do you all remember how successful General Abraxas was with his son Stan scheme? Yes! We would never have gotten away with a teaching like that 20 years ago. Yet, thanks to how mind-numbingly illiterate people have become with their Bibles, it worked like a miracle. Miracles? Heresy! <laughs> My fellow miscreants, I apologize. Uh, slip of the vault tongue. <laughs> now, where was I? Ah, yes. So now our orders are to come up with the dumbest, the lamest, and most ludicrous teachings to throw at these dullards and see what sticks. Anyone got any suggestions? We, uh, we could sell indulgences so that people could, uh, get time off of purgatory. That's two 13th century, Agrit. If you had spent even the just amount of effort in your demonic studies instead of trying to reinvent the selfie, you might have known that little historical factoid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, how about praying the dead saints? Done it. Women could be pastors? No, 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 no. Pastrix is already in the dictionary. We can chalk that up as a victory. Maybe we should tell everyone that they're still under the Mosaic Law. And that they must obey kosher laws. And that they must not celebrate Christmas and be Torah observant. Too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots. We've already done all these before. We need to be more creative. And by that, I mean less creative. How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiot. What about portals? Who, who said that? Uh, I did? Well, speak up, worm. Why 
above Jerusalem. This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 you wretchedness. These are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them on the passersby. And, and, and you'll need a map to find them. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of the Microsoft Zoom. Silence, you imbeciles! They stopped making those years ago. Even the pet rock had better features, and that's bad. Even by our standards. That just sounds terrible. Why would anybody go for that? Who's next? Uh, There's a sound membrane. A sound membrane in the sky. Uh, That is bulging. And and it's starting to leak. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Uh, That's it, Richardness. That's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet. And I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned! How should Christians deal with false teaching in their midst? What should we do when our doctrine and our practice do not sync? What role does humor and satire play in calling out false teachings? These are the timely questions for the 2015 Brothers of John the Steadfast Conference, February 20th and 21st at Bethany Lutheran Church in Naperville, Illinois. Hear from pastors Brian Wolfmiller, Clint Poppy, Larry Bean, Hans Feeney, and Todd Wilkin as they address the theme, When Heterodoxy Hits Home. Also, don't miss out on the No Pietists Allowed parties, the Manly Man Breakfast, and Worship to Feed the Soul. To find out more and to register for When Heterodoxy Hits Home, go to Brothers of John the Steadfast at steadfastlutherans.org. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God aren't, that they're just making stuff up and speaking presumptuously, which they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you under the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. And if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. 
And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're still under the uh, umbrella of the Greater Patricia King Gang uh, update. Uh, we're still so we're doing kind of a second part to it. Here is uh, Robert Hodgkin uh, from his sermon this past Sunday at the Shiloh uh, Tella Web Church thingy going on over at XPmedia.com. And uh, let's see what he does with Scripture and the things that he says there to the folks at the Shiloh Web Church Fellowship. Here we go. We're in an interesting season right now. Yeah. How many of you guys have felt it? How many of you felt the warfare? Yeah. Felt it? I mean, are we Jedi now? So how many? We're in a we're in an interesting season. How many of you have felt the warfare? <laughs> what does it feel like? Is it painful? There's a lot of warfare going on right now. Yeah. But, you know, that's not a bad thing. Okay. God raised, God doesn't raise up victims, does he? He raises up warriors. He raises up overcomers. And we at XP Shiloh Fellowship, we're warriors. We're made for war, right? Can I get any? <laughs> they just... <laughs> okay, call, call me cynical. But the, <laughs> we at XP Shiloh Media Church, yeah, we're, we're warriors. We're made for war. And they actually, uh, the camera is showing the crowd there gathered for the XP Media Shiloh Web Church thingy. These look like just ordinary um, <laughs> suburb, American suburbanites. You know, um, they don't look like warriors to me. Come on, we're warriors! Yeah! <laughs> and when. <laughs> lousiest looking warriors i've ever seen warrior you're made for war we at xp shiloh fellowship we're people of great faith we don't run from battle we don't shirk from battle we're like king david when others in the body might say we don't know how to come up against this giant we don't judge them we don't dismiss them we don't we don't mock them we just simply like king david say we know who our god is and we're going at this battle. And we're not only expecting the victory, but we're expecting the spoils from the victory. And oh, yeah. We're not only expecting victory, but the spoils. You know, lots of loot and money and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a warrior now. Sign me up. What's exciting is the reason that we're experiencing this new level of warfare that we've all come up against is because we've entered a new season. Uh, so that's the reason. And Okay, and... Tell me, Mr. Hodgkin, how do you know we've entered a new season exactly? Did you feel it? Last September, about Rosh Hashanah, we as a ministry, so we as XP Shiloh Fellowship, whether you're here with us locally or you're part of our congregation around the world, we entered a new season. We felt it. And with an. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, count me in under the category of not convinced here. You know, I'm trying to think back. What was I feeling in September of last year? Hang on. I'm kind of. No, I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel nothing, you know, and so if you, you didn't feel it either, I mean, does that mean that we're not in this new season, you know, because uh, we didn't feel it about the time of Rosh Hashanah? Can you think back? What were you feeling back then? Did you feel anything? No, I, I didn't. I, I felt nothing. <laughs> uh-huh. Boy, is this like the Mormon burning in the bosom that's supposed to prove that the Book of Mormon is, you know, actually legit, despite the fact that, like, nothing in the Book of Mormon is historically accurate, like, at all? Is, is So, you know, we're in this new season. Rosh Hashanah, you know, last year, whoo, ah, we felt it. So that means it's true. Uh-huh. Right. Season comes new territory. And with new territory comes a new battle. 
And that's not bad. We don't have to be afraid of the battle. We actually, what we need to do is run towards it, proclaiming and declaring who our God is and the victory that he has for us. Uh-huh. So just run towards it, you know, because they felt it in September, dude. Now, we see a really good example of this in the book of Joshua. You, you do? <laughs> Really? The book of Joshua teaches that we should expect to feel that there were new seasons and stuff. Please tell me what you're going to do with scripture here. Favor and turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Yeah, which chapter? Go to Joshua 1. Uh, Joshua 1. So Joshua 1 teaches that there's these different, you know, seasons that you're supposed to feel. Okay, well, let's see. Let me find my place. Here we go. Okay. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, and he said, Now that my servant Moses is dead, you must lead my people across the Jordan and into all that I am giving them. So right here we see something amazing. Right here we see that we're in a new season. God has shown up and said, Hey, my... (laughs) Whoa, slow down there, Robert. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, going to pull the reins here. See if we get these horses to slow down a second. So you just <laughs> you just read from Joshua chapter 1 uh, that Moses, my servant, is dead. Yeah, And so we see from that there, da-da, now, that, so this, this shows us we're in a new season. By what stretch of the exegetical imagination are you capable of jumping that chasm from all the way back in the time of Moses to now? You see, when you read Joshua chapter 1, you know, it starts with verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Mm -hmm. And this is historical narrative. This is a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. There's no prescription in Joshua chapter 1 that says, And just as the people of Israel entered a new season after the death of Moses, so you too, in the 21st century and beyond, should expect that this is going to show you that God's going to lead you into a new season. You just need to feel it. About the time of Rosh Hashanah, you know? My, the, the Moses season is, o- is over, and we're entering a new season. So when, when God... The Moses season is over. ...to us about a new season, we always get excited, right? We get excited about the new season, the new territory, the new realm. But what's interesting to me is God never says new territory, new season doesn't mean new battles. He actually says it does mean new battles. He says to Joshua that you're in a new season... You're going to come into everything that I have promised, and the enemy is going to try to come against you. But this is God's promise to Joshua. Everywhere you go, you will be on land I have given you. 
No one will be able to stand their ground against you as long as you live. For- yeah, again, this is talking about the children of Israel going into the land that God promised them. And the promised land is not some allegorical thing that symbolizes the new territory that God wants to lead you into in a new season in life that began in Rosh Hashanah, if you felt it. That's not what this is teaching at all. Robert Hodgkin, you claim to be receiving direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. We've uh, we've played segments from you in the past here on Fighting for the Faith. Why isn't God the Holy Spirit screaming at you right now and saying, be quiet, you're twisting my word, you're not rightly handling it? I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. Be strong and courageous, for you will lead my people to possess all the land I swore to give them. You will be successful in Everything you do, I command you. Oh, wait, let me back up. Study the obey all the law. Do not turn away from them, and you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be sure to obey all that is written in it. Only then will you succeed. Now, isn't that interesting? God calls him into the new season, declares the new season, gives him the promise, I'm going to be with you, I will. Saying it's a new season is like this weird stretch because you started with, oh, we felt there were in a new season, and now you're reading that into the text. This is eisegesis. Fail you. There will be warfare, there will be battles, but you, no enemy can stand against you. And then he gives him the key, and it's in that verse, in verse... 7 and 8, where he says twice, obey all the law, study this book continually. That would be the Mosaic Covenant, which they have to keep in order to stay in the promised land. Meditate on it day and night to obey all that is written. Only then will you succeed. And if we don't know the goodness of our God, the love of our Father, we can read that word in English, obey, and get a misconception that God's setting up some quid pro quo religious performance formula that if you do good, if you do good, I'll do good by you. Uh, have you read the fine print of the Mosaic Covenant? That's exactly what the Mosaic Covenant is about. Do these things and you will live. That's what the Mosaic Covenant... You don't, you, he clearly hasn't read the book of Galatians, which spells this out. You know, the Mosaic Covenant makes it clear. Do these things and you will live. You know, don't do them and God exercises the, uh, the curses. And that's what the law does. But that's not what that word means in the, in the Hebrew. Uh. In the Hebrew, that word is shamar. And one other translation, I actually like it. In most translations, it says obey. In the, New King, or in the King James, it says observe. And I like that translation better because that gets closer to what the original Hebrew, to, Hebrew word is, which is shamar. And this is what it means in Hebrew. To attend to, to guard, to keep, to wait for, to watch for with expectation, the certainty of anticipation. Uh, yeah, you're doing the illegitimate totality transfer. By the way, in Greek, there's a similar word, tereo. It means to keep or to guard or to observe. And the, uh, in t- there's some translations which translate tereo as obey, and that's not really quite what's going on with that word. 
Um, but just quoting all of the different definitions doesn't actually give us the full meaning of what it's supposed to be meaning in this context. What is God saying in this context? To keep, to observe. Okay, yes, you have to observe the covenant. Now, the covenant has within it uh, provisions for when you sin, for when you don't obey the law, then there's sacrifices for the forgiveness of your sins that all actually point to the one, one once-for-all sacrifice, which is Jesus. So, yes, but keeping and observing really comes down to not only first table, a uh, second table of the law, but also second table, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And over and again, you know, how did Israel wander away from the covenant? It was through idolatry. What is saying is, I'm bringing you into a new season. I'm giving you new territory. There's going to be challenges, but you're going to succeed in every time when you shamar my word. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's great, because what does this have to do at all with, uh, apparently, you've been led into a new season in the month in, of September of last year, and you felt that that means that there's new territory, new ground. See, that doesn't make any sense. Not a religious thing of if you obey, then I'll help you. It's knowing my word, knowing who I am, what I have given you, and holding on to it no matter what. Holding it in your heart, knowing my word, expecting my word, anticipating my word, no matter how things look or feel. Uh, anticipating my word. Now, see, now he's taking all the different definitions of the word shamar and sticking them into one run-on sentence and so, as if somehow he's now getting the full meaning. No, this is called illegitimate totality transfer, which is a misuse of uh, a lexicon. Obey part, I get, what I get out of the obey part is it's when we know, when we shamar, when we hold that word in our heart in anticipation and expectation. Which word is he talking about? The written word of God or the supposed word that God spoke to him? God being faithful, the certainty of our God and his word, no matter how things look or feel in the moment, when we hold on to that, then we command from our spirit that knows our God, our spirit that knows who our God is and what he's promised, we command our body and soul to obey. Our soul that wants to get afraid, our body that wants to flee. And hey, I've been there. I've been in some awesome battles. And I don't always respond perfectly all the time with this, I'm going into the battle and I'm going to have victory. But God and that text isn't about you and whatever battles you think you're in and whatever season you might feel that you're in. Always meets me in it. He always reminds me who he is and what his promise is. And in that, I shamar, I hold that word in my heart, and it rallies me. My spirit leaps, and all of a sudden, from that place, I can say to my soul, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh -huh. And all of this is utter nonsense, because the text that he just read, out of context, has nothing to do with what he's saying. Nothing to do with whatsoever. What's his assumption here is that by reading this story from Joshua chapter 1 in little bits and pieces, uh, that somehow this is revealing some pattern that's supposed to happen in, in his life, in the here and the now, in the, in the 21st century, and by that, he, you know, he's expecting that God's going to lead him into a new season, the way Joshua was led into a new season, and therefore, you know, and, and then there's going to be territory to take and stuff like that. But can you point out where in Scripture this pattern plays out with all of the different patriarchs? How about the apostles? <laughs> you know, yeah, no, uh, not at all. Um, so, yeah, it, 
the the story of Joshua is a singular historical event that's not repeated in the lives of Christians, but it's there for our edification. It's there for our building up. It does reveal something about God, but not some pattern that Joshua experienced that we're supposed to expect in our life. If you just feel it about the month of September, you know, it doesn't work that way. So, yeah, what was the point of him reading God's word there? Yeah, not so sure. I know what the point of him reading God's word was there. Oh, I know. It was to create the false impression that what he was actually doing was, a, you know, biblical teaching. He's not really actually handling God's word correctly at all. In fact, you know, I, I wanted to get to this. The uh, the job, if you would, of uh, of a pastor is to give the correct sense of uh, of what God's Word is saying. And there's a great place where we can kind of see what this looks like from the Old Testament. And I wanted to get to this earlier, and uh, we'll plug it in right here. Nehemiah chapter 8. So after the wall is rebuilt, the temple is being rebuilt, all of these things are going on, it says this. It says, And all the people, chapter 8, verse 1, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law, the Torah of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matathia Shema, uh, Ananiah, and beside him, uh, and uh, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Ma- uh, Maasiah, and on those right hand, Pedadiah, Mishael, uh, uh, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadanaah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all of the people, for he was above all of the people, and he opened it, and the people stood. So he. Y- y- you notice here, it sounds like he's preaching from what? A pulpit. And when he was when he was reading, as he opened the book, the people all stood up. You ever been in a church where they stand for the reading of the Word of God? That tradition comes from this text. Okay. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kelata, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law, the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So here's the idea. God's word shows us, in a sense, by what happened here in Nehemiah, what really the preacher's job is, to open up the word of God, to proclaim it, to preach it, and notice how the people respond by honoring the word of God and standing for the reading. And then there were people there to help others understand the correct sense of what God's word is saying. Now, the problem today is that so many people who call themselves pastors and preachers 
they, well, they open up the word of God, but they're not conveying the right sense, the correct, accurate sense of what God's word says in what they're proclaiming and reading. Instead, they're reading God's word basically as a pretense to create the false impression that what they're teaching is an actual biblical word from God. And it's not. And that's the problem. You know, and here we just heard Robert Hodgkin really give it the perfect example of what not to do. He did not give, in his reading from Joshua 1, an accurate sense of what that text is really saying, what it means, what is its theological significance. He just read it with the false assumption that it has something to do with this new season that they felt that they're in, you know, as Shiloh Web Church or whatever, Shiloh Web Fellowship. And, uh, you know, because, of course, didn't you feel it back in September? And and he's not really accurately, see, there's a word, accurately conveying the right sense of what that text is all about. And that is one of the major problems that we we actually cover day in and day out here at Fighting for the Faith is that pastors and preachers and teachers are not conveying an accurate sense of what God's Word says and what it means. Instead, they basically read God's Word in order to give a pretense that what they're saying is actually what the Word teaches, and it's not. Moving along. Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Don't want no kissing, don't want no gal to call me honey, don't want my name in the Hall of Fame, just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler, give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma, Elder Nero, wanna be a millionaire, give me money, 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 money. That green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oot and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like me, just like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right, that's Dr. Teeth and money, 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 money. Now, uh, what we're going to be listening to is uh, from a recent episode of This Is Your Day. This would be Benny Hinn's uh, television program, and he invited the heretic and showman, uh, kind of like circus showman is the right way to put it, uh, Steve Muncy onto his program. And apparently Steve Muncy has a word from God to share with the audience of uh, of Benny Hinn's um, television program, a word that, if you would, sort of buttresses and, and basically, well, makes Benny Hinn out to be a very, very important person. Uh, here's uh, Benny Hinn introducing Steve Muncy to explain what the Lord has revealed to him. Here we go. I want to hear what God has for us today. I'm all ears and ready. The, the Holy Spirit has really spoken strongly through you, and as I was coming and approaching this moment with you on on this telecast, uh, the Spirit of the Lord really touched me, and I want you that are listening and watching today to hear that this is a word for Pastor Benny Hinn. Ah, so the Holy Spirit speaking to Steve Muncy, a word for Pastor Benny Hinn. Then this word is going to be transferred through this camera as uh-huh. you're watching it on your television set. Yeah. And there's going to be a word for you. Uh, so then the word is so the word is from the Holy Spirit to Benny Hinn. It'll be transmogrified 
through the technology of a, of a television camera into a word for you. Well, please do share. Amen. Pastor Benny Hinn is much like Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> Benny Hinn is like the Apostle Paul from the book of Acts. Are you sure about that? Because when I read about the Apostle Paul, the last person that comes to my mind would well actually be <clears throat> Benny Hinn. So, um, I, I mean, are you really sure that's what God the Holy Spirit is telling you, Steve Muncie? And when I came, I mean, this is really, uh, I'm not trying to be a holy Joe here. I mean, you're, you're, you're more holy than me. But, no, I'm not, but go ahead. But, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be... I would say neither of you are holy. Uh, people to think, you know, that, you know, I hear voices, you know, it's through the word and the spirit of the Lord comes upon me. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this impression uh, I've learned over the years. It wouldn't, if the Holy Spirit came upon you, wouldn't the Holy Spirit be telling you, tell Pastor Benny to repent, to stop teaching false doctrine and teaching for shameful gain things that he ought not to teach and tell him to stop putting on these circus shows where he's claiming that he's healing people when they're not actually being healed. Yeah, there there was a great um, ex, yeah, news expose on Benny Hinn's so-called healing ministry. You know, people with real diseases, real infirmities, you know, people who are really wheelchair-bound, really, um, you know, had diseases that were going to kill them. When they show up to a Benny Hinn healing revival, they're kind of shuttled to the back of the building and they're not allowed to go up on stage to receive healing from Benny Hinn. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. It's a manifestation of God speaking. He said, I want you to tell Benny Hinn that, uh, I want you to tell him there is a price for believing for people to be healed. Absolutely. There's a price. Yeah, there is a price. And the, the price is actually paid by the people who are uh, sowing seeds into Benny Hinn's ministry in order to be healed. Oh, yeah, there's a price. All right. Huge price. And the funny thing is, is that they're not actually healed. And he said, I want you to take Benny Hinn and the people that are watching because I'm going to I am going to do a miracle for the person that is watching today. As you speak this word, because it is going to encourage them and it's going to encourage Benny Hinn and you that are watching today, you need something. I sense that. What do I need? Now, listen close to this, because I think that you will benefit and you will hear. And I think you will agree what God is saying to Pastor Benny in in this miracle ministry that God has given him. Uh-huh. Please uh, give me more details. Paul goes to Lustra. Yeah. He and Barnabas are there. And the Bible said there was a crippled man that was there. And I want to read it because I want you to know it's right here. The Bible says, and they preached the gospel and there sat a certain man in Lystria, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Now, I'm talking to someone right now that you say, oh, that's crippled. I'm, I'm not crippled. No, you're crippled in your finances. You may be So you read the account of uh, Paul and Barnabas in the city of Lystra, Lystra and, um, and there was a man crippled in his feet. And because you read that text, well, actually, you didn't exactly read it, did you? Um, that that somehow proves 
that um, that uh, God is going to, uh, well, heal us of different diseases. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not crippled. Well, you may be crippled in your finances. By the way, the story is found in Acts chapter 14. Uh, it says this, uh, verse 8, Now in Ly- at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw the Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So just read that text, and that proves. See, that really is not about, you know, what happened historically. No, 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 no. This is really, in a sense, pointing us to Benny Hinn's miracle healing ministry, right? And so are you crippled? And you think, well, I'm not crippled. Ah, but you're crippled in your finances, see? <laughs> crippled in your blood pressure, high or low. Oh, so I'm crippled in my blood pressure. Uh-huh. You may be crippled in a, in a heart condition. You may be crippled in, in, in a situation with your relationship. Uh, are, you, are you in a crippled relationship? Because that's what this text is apparently all about. Now, is um, <clears throat> Steve Muncy here helping us to understand the correct and right sense of this passage from Acts chapter 14? No, not at all. Okay, this isn't exactly Narcissus, but he's just read the text as a pretext to, the, to somehow buttress this so-called word that he's receiving from the Lord to, well, you know, buttress Benny Hinn's miracle ministry. To children, you're married. Oh, some bondage, yeah. You're, you're anything, crippled. Exactly. And you're crippled. And, and, and right now you're probably saying, you're right, I am crippled in this situation. Uh-huh. Well, the Bible says that this man was crippled. Paul, yeah, it does say that. Paul was preaching. He was speaking. And I, yeah, he was. I want to say to you. That's to Benny Hinn. That that's what you do. Oh, so, so, so Benny Hinn is the Apostle Paul of our day. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would say he's more like Simon the Sorcerer of our day. But yeah, okay. But there is a revelation on how the miracle happened. Of course, we know Jesus died on the cross. There's a backside of Calvary as well as the front side of Calvary. What? There's a backside to Calvary as well as a front side. Please uh, do tell. And it's well, and we must preach the front side of Calvary. Uh-huh. And that is, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But, yeah, just ramble through that really quickly. Uh-huh. But there's also a backside of Calvary. So, and what would the backside of Calvary be? Mm-hmm. For by, by his stripes we are healed. Yeah, again, yes, that's true. But uh, when exactly, that, see, that doesn't promise us healing here and now. Uh, it does promise us a healing, total, whole healing on the resurrection day when we're, our bodies are raised from the grave. In, but that's not what you're talking about, is it? Yeah, I detect a scam here. In order to prove this, though, let's let's fast forward to near the end of the program to see if they're going to say, well, in order to activate this uh, anointing, this healing ability that uh, Benny Hinn supposedly has, just like the Apostle Paul, see if it requires any, you know, financial contributions to Benny Hinn's ministry, all under the pretense of exercising faith in order to release the anointing or something like that. This is near the end of the uh, that exact program we've been listening to. Here we go. I'm going to shout in the name of Jesus. 
And I, I don't mean scream or yell, but I'm going to speak. You know, you used to do that all the time. When we go to the meetings, I would notice that you would get into this dimension and then you would say fire real loud. Yep. It would scare me. It would scare me. I would say, my God, he's so loud. But then I looked and biblically, you were perceiving the people at Connecting a with certain that moment. Absolutely, yeah. And then you did what Apostle Paul did. You shouted with a loud voice. Absolutely. And I saw people come out of the wheelchairs. I saw people come out of their seats. Because faith is released. That's why. Uh-huh. So he's just like the Apostle Paul. Faith is released. Uh-huh. The minute you connect with that anointing, faith is released. Yes, but... Where in the scripture does it say when you connect with someone's anointing that faith is released? What does it mean to release faith? That's a weird theological word, phrase. You perceive. Paul said he perceived. Absolutely he did. He could see in this man. I know it takes faith. Faith is what moves God. I understand Hebrews 11 and 1. But there is something about a man of God speaking like I am right now. Okay, is that what's happening to you right now? Right now, I can just feel then, it. Then let's pray for the people right now, and then let's pray also that God will prosper them, bless them, heal them in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus Amen, Christ. amen, amen. On the set with Pastor Benny Hinn. Yes, Lord, we agree in right now. In the next few seconds, we agree. I believe that you are going to get up right now. Get up. Get up. Yeah, that was not actually tongues. That's just gibberish. It's a false manifestation masquerading as the the biblical spiritual gift of tongues. That's not tongues. Up, like the man in the book of Acts. Your depression is leaving. Your fear is leaving. There is an abundance that's coming like you have never witnessed in the history of your life. Right now, right now, right now, in the name of Jesus. Oh, listen, listen to what I'm sensing. This is what I'm sensing. I'm sensing the same thing as Jesus. Oh, you're sensing the same thing as Jesus. Wow, you're you're quite amazing there, Mr. Muncie. Jesus says, let's do something for the multitude. Oh, Jesus wants to do something for the multitude. You're sensing that. Okay. But we don't have anything. Oh, okay. We don't have any food. Uh-oh, we want to do something for the multitude, but we don't have any food. Oh, no. And Jesus said, well, what do we have? And then and Andrew said, well, we got a little boy here with two fishes and five loaves. What I'm sensing right now that this gospel must be preached. Absolutely. Benny Hinn must go to India. Amen. He must do the work, and God is doing something special. Uh, he is? I sense right now, right now. You do? That you put, you put in this hand, and you put in this hand, and you say, here is the two fishes and the five loaves, and here is the seed. I just sensed that. Uh, yeah, so you sense Jesus saying, here's the seed, something to do with fishes and loaves. So you want us to send fish and bread to Benny Hinn? This is, the, this is 60 seconds that I sense this so strong. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah. Like a con man senses something, you know, like blood in the water, like a shark senses something, right? And that in the name of Jesus Christ, I sense yeah. 250. I just sense that. Mm, 250 and that you what? put it 250 what? right into the hands of Jesus so that Jesus can feed the multitudes through this ministry. Uh, so 250. Send in 250 as a seed offering so that Jesus can feed the multitudes through Benny Hinn. Mm, right. 
It's going to go around the world. And when you do this, Mm -hmm. there will be 12 times more that will come back to you after you have planted the seed and it goes forth to spread the gospel. You're going to get 12 times back more. You said two. Uh I thought that, you know, God's word talks about a hundredfold return on things like this. At least that's how the uh, you know the televangelists of old would talk about. It. So so we got to so two hundred and fifty times twelve. So if you send two hundred and fifty bucks to Benny Hinn, God's gonna give you three thousand dollars in return. Okay, right. Fifty two fifty two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, two hundred and fifty dollars. Two hundred and fifty dollars. I just sensed that. Uh, and you, you do. Yeah, I, I don't sense nothing except for that you're a total con man, deceiving people, twisting God's word, and teaching for shameful gain things that you ought not to teach because you didn't rightly handle the uh, book of Acts chapter 14 at all. In fact, that the whole purpose why you read that was some kind of a pretext so that you can get to this part where you want people to send 250 bucks into uh, <clears throat> Benny Hinn's ministry. Makes me wonder, how much of that are you going to get? Are you, what's your cut on this uh, false teaching? Wow, talk about charlatans. But I, I think you get the point. This is not from God. Not at all. This is all designed to, well, you make a buck for Benny Hinn, for Steve Muncy. But uh, you know, there's a cost involved for the miracle-working ministry of Benny Hinn, for sure. But uh, Benny Hinn isn't the one paying it. It's the people listening to him that are paying it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, C3 Church down in Australia, uh, the prophet Phil Pringle telling us about, well... Something to do with the book of Ezekiel so we can tell us about some angelic encounters. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Note the pattern that we're showing. 
Oh, people are reading biblical texts, but uh, it's not to actually give you the proper sense of what those texts mean. And this will be another example of that. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via c3 church oxford falls australia the prophet phil pringle presiding the name of the sermon we'll be listening to is awakening this is part two in this sermon series apparently and uh, we'll be listening to him take us into the book of ezekiel without any context whatsoever so that he can create the false impression that what he's teaching us is actually, you know, biblical teaching. This is something that God wants us to know and to understand, but the thing he's reading has nothing to do with what it is that he's talking about. Strange technique indeed. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is the prophet, Phil Pringle from C3 in Oxford Falls and The Awakening. Here we go nations of the world, every tip where there's a C3 church. Next week, we are upgrading and going up a level without any doubt at all. Let me read a scripture to you in these, uh, as, we, as we just come around the word of God here tonight. And uh, uh, in Ezekiel 47, verse 3. Uh, Ezekiel 47, verse 3. Now, remember what we just read from Nehemiah chapter 8 about how there were people there assisting and helping people to understand the proper sense of what God's word says. So we're going to see if, uh, if well, <clears throat> Phil Pringle does this. So we're in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, okay? And... Uh, if you open up your Bible there, and um, <laughs> here's what here's apparently what he's going to read. So going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man, this would be an angel, measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. And yeah, that's where the frogs are, knee deep, knee deep. Anyway, again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. And again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? So that's Ezekiel 47, verses 3 through 6, Now, which begs the question, what on earth is going on in this passage? Well, let me back up the context a little bit here because um, it, it won't take too long to get what's going on. Let, let me add verse 1 and 2 in and we'll see what's going on. So then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. And then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around, around on the the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. So this is a vision that Ezekiel is receiving. In the vision, he's there's an angel helping him, and I think earlier in the passage he had measured off part of the temple, you know, and stuff like that. So the where's the water coming from? This isn't just any old river. This isn't the Jordan. This is a flow of water flowing from the temple itself heading out to the east. 
And then going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, which water the water flowing from the temple, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. So you kind of get the idea. The farther away from the temple this water gets, the deeper it is flowing. So what is this water? Well, it's flowing from the temple again. This is a vision. And so the the idea here, in visions, oftentimes the meaning is locked up in symbols, if you would. And so that's exactly what's going on here. Let me just read to you the note from the uh, from the Lutheran Study Bible, which I think helps us here. Lutheran Study Bible, uh, chapter 47, says this, Water is the symbol of life-giving blessings flowing in the channels of divine grace. When, as here, it emanates from the temple where the reconciled God resides, it prefigures the restoration to life in the new covenant. The flow of this water never stops. So what this water is, is the flow of watering issuing from the temple out into the nations in the in the new covenant. The, the blessings and, of divine grace and forgiveness and renewal of life, that's what is going on here. So that we have, a, from there we have a pretty good picture of what's going on here in Ezekiel chapter 47. Do you think if you were a wagering person, and I do not think that you should be a wagering person, but if you were a wagering person, would you be betting that... Phil Pringle, the the prophet Phil Pringle of the C3 movement, that he's going to tell us about God's divine mercy flowing from the temple in the new covenant. Is that is that what he's going to tell us about? Yeah, I I I wouldn't take that bet if I were you. But uh, let's see what he thinks this is all about. I would like to uh, just take you through this. I would like to uh, just take you through this passage, which is. A passage about increase, a passage about enlargement, a passage about getting deeper. Yeah, no, it's not about enlargement, increase, or going deeper. It's about a river of mercy, of water flowing from the temple. Yeah, in the, it's all about the new covenant. And those water is used. That kind of hints at baptism and the forgiveness of sins and things like that. And uh, it talks about an angel. And I want to give you a story tonight about... Uh, uh, an experience I had, which includes uh, angels. And yeah, story would be right. This is going to be a fiction on his part. And angels are real beings from heaven who come to earth to take us into uh, experiences where God wants to take us. And this angel was walking with Ezekiel with a measuring tape or a measuring rod. And you see angels often mentioned in the Bible with measuring rods. And as they are often with measuring rods, really, that's a common feature with angels. Eh, not really uh, uh, walking. He measures off 1500 feet from the temple along this river. And he got. Yeah, no, it's not just any river. It's the river flowing from the temple to a place where they were ankle deep in water. And then he measured another 1500 feet and he led me through water that was knee deep. And he measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was waist deep. And he measured off another 1,500 feet. By now, it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. Now, notice he left out verses 1 and 2 to give us the context, which means he's just reading this in order to tell us what he wants to tell us, not to give us the right sense of what God's Word really says. Amen. Let's just close our eyes and pray. And ask God to talk to us here tonight. Father, thank you for the word, the power of the scripture. 
And I pray that not one second of it or ounce of it would be diluted in any way here tonight, but that we would... It's already diluted because you're not putting it in context and you're not trying to help people understand what's really going on in this passage. So why are you praying that it wouldn't be diluted? Receive the full impact of your word, your spirit, and the mighty grace of God enabling us to embrace this word and let it transform us into the reality it's speaking about. Heavenly Father, help us reach this generation, this world around us, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. I believe that God wants us to move into a revisit, a reenactment of the reality of the book of Acts again in these days. Uh, reenactment of the book of Acts. You couldn't reenact it if you tried. There are no apostles today. Unfortunately, in a lot of places, you will see that the power of God has been dialed down and ignored or actually spoken against and tried to be shut down. Now, he's talking supposedly the power of God being the move of the Holy Spirit. Like anybody could stop the Holy Spirit if they tried. You know, I could see the Holy Spirit out there going, yeah, you know, there's, there's so much I'd like to be able to do in the church. and But, you know, it's that it's people are dialing me down and just they're totally like putting me in a box. And, you know, when you put God in a box, I, you, you can't get out of it at all. I mean, it's it's weirdest thing. It's like kryptonite to Superman, you know. One of the reasons for that is is that oftentimes the expressions of people who are in the spiritual community appears less than sane, uh, just downright weird. Some You mean like the Patricia King gang? And, you know, by the way, they do speak in tongues out there at C3, too. By the way, that's not actually the gift of tongues described in Scripture. Times. And so the credibility in amongst the people who have some sanity, uh, you know, who are looking for an expression that isn't going to be unnecessarily embarrassing to bring their family and their friends into... Uh, is difficult. I mean, for some people, even hands lifted up and singing in supernatural languages or things like that are, is just a little bit too much to take. But believe me, that's completely mild compared to some of the things I've witnessed and uh, and have been part of with with a whole heart, thinking this is awesome. And I know that that when God moves, He uh, He has exhorted us in the church to say, keep it in an area where it's believable and retains credibility. Don't let keep it in an area where it's believable. If it's from God, then it's going to be believable, right? Man. Don't let it get away on you so that uh, people will come in and say, oh, these people are mad. That's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. But he says, manage the moving of the spirit. Don't kill it. Just manage it so that when prophecies come, it's like two or three, not everybody going crazy all at once. Uh, and when this happens, manage it so that it... And the basic tone of what he's talking about is keep the power of God flowing and and don't shut it down. Despise not prophesying. Don't shut off prophesying. Don't shut down the Holy Spirit. But what happened is that because of a few weird things and unusual things that makes people feel a little spooked out, they kind of down and shut it down and just go for this this uh, drier form of church life and Christianity. 
And after a while, I can tell... Drier form of church life in Christianity. Again, if the Holy Spirit's moving, you're not going to be able to stop the Holy Spirit from moving. ...tell you, you ain't going to make it because you need a lot of power to live a life that Jesus is calling us to live. So apparently there's no power in, you know, dry Christianity where there's no manifestations of the Spirit. Which basically says to me that you're not looking at Scripture to see what how the Spirit works and operates and manifests itself. Christ said that he would send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, in order to convict the world of sin and unbelief. So where people are convicted of their sin and brought to penitent faith in Christ, the Spirit is working. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Dar- bar- barking like dogs? No, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, you, you, need, you need power to love people that you hate. You need, uh, <laughs> you need power to beat the devil who's been oppressing people for thousands of years. You, you need some more power to just get out of here. You need something uh, that's dynamic on your life. You need power to bring people to Christ. People don't want to do that. Yeah, and there's power in the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Yeah, so the, the power is in the preaching of the gospel. The Spirit attaches himself and promises to with the preaching of the gospel. Why would we expect anything other than that? The power to lead a church, a supernatural power to build a supernatural church. The second reason that sometimes... The book of Acts has been dialed down as though it's a historical event or it was just for the apostles or not really around today. It's because we have lived independent lives from the guidance of, of the Lord. And, uh, and, and, and on that first night, I'm very burdened with a message to, to bring that I believe will take people to the level that God has taken us to. The worst thing is to watch God do something in people's lives where their circumstances exceed their character or their circumstances exceed their, their maturity. And, and what happens is that they do things that blow it all up and brings it back to a manageable level for them. Uh, you know, and, and you don't want that to happen. You don't want to find yourself with something that's bigger than your capacity on the inside. Now, I'm, now what does this have to do with the text from Ezekiel? Answer, absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. He's. What was the point in reading the text? Yeah, I have no idea because he's not telling anybody what the real sense of that text is. You know, with, with Presence Global, guys, it's not like I feel like we're going to another level. It's measurable. We're at a totally new level. We had 1,500 delegates sign up. I think it was 1,390, actually. Uh, at Kuala Lumpur. As of this morning, there are 5,500 delegates coming to this conference. That's 4,000 more. That's going up a level. That's going up a level. Mm-hmm. So it's just like when the angel takes Ezekiel out and, and goes, you know, like ankle deep, you know, knee deep, uh, waist deep. Oh, it's just like that, right? That's not what that text is about. So with that, there's going to be like, not just five children that get lost. There's going to be 50. And so a lot more help and a lot of higher stress levels. There isn't going to be just one fight about who sits in that seat. There'll be a hundred people fighting. And that's just the pastors. You know, it's like it's, the whole thing goes to a level and the capacity of you as our congregation. Also, we got to grow with that. 
and increase with that and change gear and become bigger in thinking about a whole range of areas. And so the Lord here is taken, Ezekiel is is being taken from being a prophet who's ankle deep to somebody who's knee deep. And then he's being taken further to somebody who's waist deep. Yeah, again, the important thing here is not that Ezekiel is being taken to some somebody who is ankle deep, knee deep. No, 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 no. The river flowing from the temple in the New Covenant is flowing that deep. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not Ezekiel. It's the grace and mercy flowing from the temple. And you know, when you're waist deep and you're in a river that's flowing swiftly, you can feel that current. And you think, whoa, man, I better stay in safe zones, keep my feet on the ground. But no, this prophet, the angel said, no, 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 we're not staying here. We're going where your feet don't touch the ground. We're going where you're going to trust the current of the Holy Spirit. Yet the angel didn't say anything of the sort. Look at the text. The angel doesn't say that. You're sticking things into the text that are not there. To take you somewhere you've never been before. And that's when we will start to obey God. And on that first night, that's what I really want to talk about. It's a message called the parable of the dog. It's about the lordship of Christ. Don't worry, we'll join those dots on the day. Amen. Yeah, I might have to circle back and play some of that parable of the dog. It's, uh, it's an obnoxious sermon, to say the least. But it's, it's about, thank you very much. It's about doing what the Lord tells you to do and not doing what he doesn't tell you to do. You mean the Ten Commandments? No, that's not what he means, by the way. He means personal revelation that God's supposedly telling you to do particular things. That's, it's, it's like a whole new concept. Amen. Because we've got to move from being him being our Savior to him being our Lord. False dichotomy. Absolutely false dichotomy. And, uh, yeah, th- I'm sorry, but those people who talk this way, who create this dichotomy, this false dichotomy, oh, oh y- y- we need to move from having Jesus as Savior to being, sa- you know, to being Lord. Yeah, when you are brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, it's a whole package deal. It's not pieced out. And it's not like you're in the driver's seat. He's in the driver's seat. So this is a false dichotomy put out by people you know, very often. You, you hear this type of language. But uh, if you're truly a penitent believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, he is Savior and Lord. And see, the idea then is is that you're supposed to look at your life and go, well, look at my life. I don't obey every day. And I, how am I supposed to go to the next level if I don't da-da-da-da? Yeah, uh-huh. Again, it's all Christ. And, you know, are you aware of your sin and that how you're falling short? Well, daily you should be praying, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Trust me when I tell you, when you go deeper in understanding Christ's mercy and understanding what Jesus did for you on the cross by taking your sin upon himself and being punished for you uh and for your sins, the sin starts to lose its flavor. It's not about making Jesus, you making Jesus Lord. No, it's about better understanding and really getting what's going on in the gospel. This helps drive you towards good works. It's not this. And by the way, if, if it was all about, you know, making Jesus Lord, 
rather than just Savior, then why do the apostles not teach this important distinction? Because there's no such thing as a Christian who does not have Jesus as Savior and Lord. That is not a biblical distinction. As our Savior, he dies for us. When he's our Lord, we die for him. Uh, what? (laughs) Oh, man. This is terrible. It's not about just what he can do for us. It's about what we can do for him. Uh, We always got to get our part in, don't we? Yeah, that that just opens the door to self-righteousness, by the way, folks. And uh, a less dependence upon the cross, as if you really don't ever need it again. Puts the cross in the rearview mirror rather than keeps it in front of you. That is a problem. What did Paul say? I chose to know nothing among you, Corinthians. This is in 1 Corinthians at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Uh Uh-huh. And that's lordship. And so what I can do for him is to listen to him and do what he tells me to do. But most of us don't want to do that because we don't know if we trust him. So listen to him and do what he tells you to do. So this is talking about direct revelation. If you really want to do what Christ is telling you to do, let's take a look at the moral law. How are you doing on the uh, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, huh? You know, if you want to see the finer gradations of it, look at the rest of the Decalogue. How are you doing? Are you doing everything that Christ has commanded you to do? Well, if not, then clearly you haven't made Jesus your Lord. He's just your Savior, right? Wrong. Like, what do you want me to do? Oh, I don't want to ask that question. He might tell me, and it might be something I don't want to do. And, and I've got these desires in my heart. I've already got my plans. I'm not going to commit them to him because what if he says, no, don't marry him. Get serious then. What if he says, no, don't go into partnership with that person. I want to. He's the one with the money. I got a great idea. Again, notice it's direct revelation rather than what God has already revealed in his word. Big problem. Committed to God. Should I do this? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. What if he says, no, I want to do this. Big difference between lordship and just having a savior. Amen. But when you... I can't say amen to that. Listen, put a thing, your plans in it before him and say, what do you think? Lord, should I do this? You got to trust that he's good. If he says no, it was just going to be a terrible, terrible thing. But if he says, yes, wow, full confidence. And sometimes he's told us to go dig a hole. And so he said, dig a hole over there. We say, oh, God, I will dig a hole for you. But I just want to do it over here. It's for you. Amen. But that's partial obedience. That's halfway obedience. That's not under the job. So you're over there digging with a shovel. But he said, over there. There's a bulldozer parked by the hole that I want you to dig. He will empower us. That's what I'm trying to say to you, that the supernatural... Again, where is this taught in Scripture? It's not taught in the passage you read from Ezekiel out of context and omitted all the important stuff from the context to help us rightly understand what's going on in that text. The power of God is where you're doing what he does. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He couldn't do anything else. He said, I can't. the son can do nothing else but what he's seen the father do. So it's like, if we get ourselves, if the church could get to a place of seeing the father and doing what he's telling us to do, I can guarantee you a supernatural power 
like we've never seen poured out on the earth will start to flow through a bunch of obedient servants. Amen. Oh, I can't tell you anymore. I see. So Jesus is waiting for the church to be obedient before you know he's going to pour out a supernatural power. Yeah, that that makes basically us the uh, the well, the limiting factor or the factor that makes it possible for God to work. Again, who's sovereign in this scenario? Not Jesus. We are. Oh, I'm really excited about that message because I feel like it's going to trigger so many people into a deeper, higher, stronger level of living, the most satisfying level of living, and get us out of a dry place. While you've got ankle ankle deep living, the rest of you is dry. And I'm urging you to get to a place in this conference where you are soaking, where you are totally immersed. That's what the word baptism means. No, it doesn't. Baptism means to wash. It does not mean to fully immerse. Yes, you can fully immerse something and wash it at the same time. But keep in mind, there's a text in Mark that talks about the fact that the Pharisees would baptize couches. Uh, Hard to baptize a couch via full immersion. It's a washing where you just get immersed in the power of God and you get carried away in that current and you find yourself in, in worship. But listen to me. My biology teacher, Miss Rivers, when I was 11 years old at Hedlow Private School, which I eventually went to a public school because they're kind of more ordinary people there and I wanted to be there, you know. But uh, uh, so I, she taught us, Miss Rivers taught us how about osmosis. Everybody say Osmosis. Some of you have never said that word in your whole life, but now you've said it. Amen. And why are you telling us about telling us about Miss Rivers and osmosis? Hmm. This has again nothing to do with the text you read. You'd put the potato in 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 a in a, in a thing of dye, blue dye. Hold it there for like ten seconds. Pull it out, and and you look at it, and there's just this tinge of blue around the outside. You say, watch this. We'd stick it in there, leave it overnight, come back in the morning, and that blue dye had gone all the way to the center. You had a blue potato. I want you to be blue people. Amen. I want you to soak in that presence of God so it goes all the way to your bones. And now we're talking about soaking in the presence of God. Where is the uh, soaking in the presence of God taught in Scripture? Can you show me some real examples in context of people who were soaking in the presence of God? And it takes while. There's nothing in the, in the, in the, in the Bible you'll ever find that anything awesome happened out of just a two-minute encounter. Jesus spent 40 days out in that wilderness soaking. Uh, where does it say that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness soaking? It says he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. didn't say anything about Jesus soaking. Not one of the Gospels says anything about Jesus soaking. In the presence of God, Moses spent 40 days up a mountain soaking in the presence of God, bringing down the Ten Commandments. Uh, It doesn't say that Moses was soaking. It says he was talking with the Lord face to face. Broke those. Went up and got another set. Amen. Took another 40 days, 80 days to bring down that. It took them 10 days waiting in that upper room, day after day after day, just soaking. Where in the book of Acts does it say the disciples prior to the day of Pentecost were in the upper room soaking? You're sticking stuff into the biblical text that is not there at all. And then, boom, a breakthrough came. Peter waiting on a rooftop for hours seeking God. Uh, No, it says that he went up to pray about lunchtime and he was hungry and fell into a trance. It doesn't say he was up there soaking for hours. Again, 
you're not reading these out of the biblical text. You're sticking all this stuff into the biblical text, and it's not there. Paul, 14 years in the deserts of Arabia. Yeah, and Paul didn't soak for 14 years in the deserts of Arabia. If he was in the deserts of Arabia, he would have dried out rather than soaked. You know what I mean? Nothing happens with God like I wish. I mean, I know we all wish he was a microwave God, but he's not. He's an oven God. And, and, and it takes, it, you just can't go push the button. Ding. I mean, even with a microwave, you're sitting there thinking, oh, these things take so long. And, uh, remember in Back to the Future, he puts in the pill and out comes a big chook. You know, it's like, that's what, we, what everybody wants, but that's not reality. Reality is that God has not changed. And as you wait and soak in every meeting, 10 meetings, boom, boom, boom. It's only two days off work. One day's Anzac Day. And just say, I am going to make the time and separate myself to God. So oh, that- this is all about plugging people to come to the Presence Conference. Ah. See, you got to take time off of work so that you can soak. And it's important because, you know, God's not a microwave God. No, he's an oven God. Yeah. So you better get take the time off work so that you can be at Presence. Uh-huh. So that I go from ankle to knee to waist until I'm immersed in the power of God. So the Bible- Yeah, again, you're totally misusing and manipulating that text from Ezekiel now, aren't you? By that final day, your life will be a transformed life as we look into the next year. I'm wanting for you. That's why we're putting it on. So your life and your world is completely and utterly transformed. You come out of the fog, come out of that crusty, drifty place, a few attitudes, and you find you're all sweet at the end. Amen. Transformed by the mighty power of God. And and that's that's what God has destined for every single one of us, that we would find ourselves literally being changed so that we we just do life better. Yeah, so we do life better because because uh, of the sacramental power of attending the presence conference and soaking or baking your brain in the, the glory in the presence of God, right? Yeah, yet God hasn't promised transformation by soaking, has he? How incredible is it that... that how many of you have moved away from home? I mean, you used to live somewhere else, but now you're, you're elsewhere. Okay. I remember going back to my home after I had become a believer, after I become a Christian and getting amongst all my, all my family. And instantly I was reacting differently, responding differently to everybody. You know, you find, you think, wow, I really have changed. And then you go back a few years later and you think, I've changed again. I'm having this kind of conversation. When they do this, I don't react. And, and uh, I mean, I've, I feel like I've changed since last year. Last year, I had road rage. Amen. This year, it's gone a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I have, I'm, a, I'm shocked with myself sometimes. Hey, man, I'm not getting discouraged over this thing. I, this didn't make me nervous. I'm, I'm patient with that person. Just one. And, uh, you know, I, my mind didn't go off spinning with anxiety about that when the panic came. I'm changing. And that will never stop in your life. It should never stop. How horrible is it when you leave the pathway 
that God's put you on and you start going backwards and you, you say, whoa, I'm not doing so well. I used to handle this a lot better. That shouldn't be the way that we're gauging our life. We should be thinking things are getting better in my world all the time. And because of that, your employer looks at you and says, wow, this person's more mature than they've ever been. We'll promote them. Your internal transformations will open doors for you and take you to higher levels because you've gone to a higher level on the inside of yourself because you soaked and became a blue potato. Amen. Down at President's Conference. A transformation got on the inside. Yeah, notice that he's basically, that was a, not even a tacit, but a quite explicit promise. You might even get a raise at work and get promoted to a higher position in your job because, well, you, you know, the, the life-transforming power of the Presence Conference. Oh, if only we could have the Presence Conference in North Dakota. There's all these people out here who are so immature because they don't get the opportunity to soak in the in the in the presence of God uh, like the people in in Australia do. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Of your soul, and that is that is the spirit. That's the Holy Spirit doing that for you. In two Corinthians uh, three verse eighteen, but we all with unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and notice that Paul didn't even hold a presence conference in Corinth. Isn't that weird? I wonder how that they were able to do that without a presence conference. Not by any books. Not by any programs by the Holy Spirit. And the greatest place you can be in the Spirit is in worship and just sitting in meetings and in an atmosphere of the communion of the saints. Yeah, I mean, the, man, the Pope has like nothing on this guy. I mean, nothing at all. I mean, sure, the Pope can, you know, grant indulgences and spring dead relatives out of uh, purgatory if he really wanted to. But see... <laughs> Phil Pringle here from C3, man, he can bring the Holy Spirit like nobody else and which will just, you know, it'll give you a promotion at work and stuff like that. So notice he's talking about literally in in theology, we would talk about at this point, the sacramental aspect of the presence conference and its transforming abilities. But I, last time I checked, uh, attending the presence conference was never listed in scripture as a sacrament. Finding yourselves getting touched, empowered. And that word transformation is metamorpho, from which we get metamorphosis. And you know, here, here's this little bug over here. It's going to become this beautiful butterfly. But if you were an alien or somebody who'd never seen that, and I said, see this ugly bug? It's going to become this beautiful butterfly. Like in a, in a period of about nine days, it go boom, boom. No, never. How could, how could that ever happen? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. But that's the transformation that the Lord says the Holy Spirit can do in your life. So you take your ugly little bugs to, you know, not your children. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be calling them that at all, you know. But we could take, take our, whatever it is, our bug life, the crawling life, along to a place where the presence of God can touch us and find ourselves being transformed from glory to glory 
Yeah, and that happens at the President's Conference, you know. To glory. God has purposes in mind for you and I. I'm not so sure they're all going to get accomplished on, a, on a, an occasional Sunday service. Uh, you know, I mean, there comes a time where just over a period of time as you soak in and marinate in that wine of the Holy Spirit, that you achieve transformations that cannot be achieved. Uh, yeah, you can't see. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You got to go to the President's Conference and, and marinate, you know, and soak in on the wine of the Spirit, right? Sounds exactly like what Patricia King talks about, doesn't it? Again, where is this taught in Scripture that I need to go and soak and marinate and uh, in all of this stuff and bake in the glory or whatever so that I can finally experience transformation? Hmm. Any other way. Amen. Okay, so this, this conference that we are holding started way back in the middle of uh, 1980s. So we were doing it as Ozfi for 18 years, and then we changed it over to uh, Presence and took it to Easter. So way back then, I, uh, we, we decided we'd have this conference, and we felt God guiding us to have it on Boxing Day, and finish on New Year's Eve. So we'd all hang out here, go hard for day after day after day, and then go all night long with New Year's Eve, and that was awesome. But when the Lord told me to do that, I thought, nobody's going to turn up. Again, let me ask you this question. Do do these little stories and this plug for the Presence Conference and its sacramental power to transform your life, uh, are they helping you rightly understand that passage from Ezekiel that he read out of context at the beginning of the sermon? Yeah, no, not at all. My Lord, on Boxing Day, we're all fat and lazy and we've eaten too much and we don't want to go anywhere, do anything, want to go to the beach. Could have a conference. It's ridiculous. I didn't think anybody would, would come. But on that first first night, I remember getting so shocked that there were like hundreds and hundreds of people. And, uh, and, these, and, and the power of God came into, that, into those meetings magnificently. So I was very happy for that. But let me take you back just a month before that, when we were first doing this conference, because that relates to what we are doing here. That it isn't, what we're doing isn't just having a gathering and a bit of an event with some music and speakers coming up. It's like, a moment where God says, I want to visit you and I want to touch your life. Yeah, I feel the angel story coming on here. And see, this will prove that this is, I mean, this presence conference is a big deal to God. Yeah, because he's, he's, God is actually sp- handing out special spiritual dispensations and life transforming power that he won't actually hand out anywhere else except for this presence conference. And, and, and so right at, at the start of this, um, I'm going to tell you a story that is to do with, uh, se- I've had several encounters with angels. And again, the operative word here is story. This is, if you were to write this out, this would be in the fiction section. This is not historical narrative. This is fiction. It's a story. And uh, sometimes an individual angel has, has turned up about, uh, I could name twice that that's happened. And this experience, I've never had an experience like this before this nor since then. But this was in, like I say, the mid-1980s. And uh, about a month before we were to start Osfire Conference, I was driving from Eleanora, where we lived, down through Narrabeen to Brookvale, to the warehouse that we used as a church, a 40,000-square-foot 
warehouse. And, and as I was driving past where Bunnings is now, I think it was Mitre 10 or something, I went into a vision. I went like, I, and I cannot remember anything from that moment until I'm turning into our Brookvale Warehouse church. I was just gone. I don't know how I drove there, how I got there. I was driving and navigating all the way with somebody else was doing it. Amen. I'm not sure how it worked, but I'm, I'm there looking at this vision and in come these like worker angels, not dressed fancy pants, not looking too amazing or anything, just workers. And they come in and they had white stuff under their arms and they rolled it out and went brum, brum, brum. And they covered the entire bottom area of that, that warehouse with a floor, white floor. And then they put up walls and they made a tent in, that, in the building, inside the building. Then they built a stage and then they put a throne on the stage and, and, and I, was, I was ecstatic. I thought, oh, I'm so happy. God's going to come. Amen. He's put a tent up inside our warehouse. This is awesome. Uh-huh. And if you believe this, I have a, a bridge I'd like to sell you in Brooklyn. Oh, man. Art Deco design. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I can sell it to you for a song. And then, uh, then I saw a guy with a bell. Going, dong, 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 dong. He was ringing it like this. He's walking. Up and down inside that thing, ringing this bell, like church bells, it sounded like. And uh, the Lord said to me, I said, what's that? He said, that's uh, the bell ringer. He will ring that bell, and everybody who's meant to hear the sound of it will hear it, and they will come. It will be a summoning to them. Like church bells in a, in a city start ringing, and everybody thinks, oh, we've got to go to prayer, or we've got to go to church, which they were once upon a time, and uh, but not so much now. And, uh, and so he was ringing this bell. I could hear it loud and clear in my ear. And I thought, wow, people are going to hear that? Like they feel the drawing of that bell from, from heaven. So that was all good. I'm ecstatic. I'm whoa. I told some people, you know, because when you see something like that, it's very kind of encouraging. If you're nervous about what's going to happen. Okay. So two days before Christmas, three days before this conference is about to start. Same thing. I'm driving down there on my way to the warehouse, on my way to church, go past that place at Bunnings, uh, you know, where it is now. And boom, I'm in a vision again. And I am watching and those road, roadie angels, the workers angels, they came into the hall and they're rolling it all up. They're packing it up. And I'm going, no, don't pack up the tent. Go, what have I done, God? What, have I sinned? What did I do wrong? I'm sorry. I repent from everything. I don't care what it is. And I'm, I'm really kind of upset. And once they'd finished, he didn't talk to me. They finished wrapping it all up. He said, don't worry. That was the rehearsal. We had to get all the measurements right. And uh, we're now going to roll out the real tent. And I thought, that sounds so weird. That's what we do on earth. You, I mean, you're heaven. You, you don't do stuff like that, do you? He said, that's how we do it. So anyway, they started rolling out this see-through, gossamer sort of stuff that you could, you know, like uh, shear. Uh, and it had glimmering lights all the way through it on the floor and then up the walls, up the side, and then in the roof. And it was a tent. 
that you could see right through and it was just glorious. And then it had like these carnival lights right across the top, which I thought was a bit sort of funny. I thought it was like, isn't this going to be a bit more serious? What? You got carnival lights like on a cruise liner up there. And isn't this going to be a party? It's going to be an awesome, you know, celebration and marvelous time in the in my presence. And so all these lights started going up and I thought, wow, this is like carnival, like presents and everything. And then there was a stage and then the throne, which I couldn't kind of see. It was like just glory. It was just bathed in light. Okay, there. And, uh, and I thought, wow, this is, now I was feeling really excited. I thought, this is amazing. And the Lord said, I will sit on the stage. And when people come and they're in worship there, yeah, again, so, you know, God's promising special, you know, uh, presence at the presence conference. That's what he's basically saying. And this is all really tall tale, a yarn, if you would. And uh, notice he's not taking the time to actually rightly handle the word of the Lord from the prophet Ezekiel. But he's going on and on about this so-called vision that he had. Uh huh. All of this is to make you believe that, oh, if I go to the presence conference... God himself has has ordained and has promised. His, I mean, he even had his throne set up for the rehearsal for this thing. It's, it's important. Their hearts will break. It will break open. And I will look in their hearts and I will select an army for my son. I was, and I thought, so the father comes, selects an army for his son. And then he said to me, when the queen comes to town, the city spends $50 million. When the Pope comes to town, they'll spend $100 million getting the place ready. When the Almighty God is going to come into your town, I make sure that there's been a rehearsal, that everything is set up just right, and that when I come in, it's going to work. Now, then the hosts came in, and I'm watching and saw four really strong, powerful-looking angels these guys, and the guys who were rolling it all out, they weren't like worker angels. They were like glorious ones. And, and, and now these four like angels of the hosts, like warrior angels, standing at the four corners of the tent. And then in a wall there about half the size were all these other like war angels, but they, weren't, they were not like these big guys. They were just like the wall of defense. So it was a security uh, set up, whatever. It was just the honoring of the army being there to welcome the almighty God when he comes. And then up behind them came all these uh, crazy angels, like like party angels. They go, whoa, they're all making a noise. They go, yeah. Party angels, yeah. Wow, yeah, party angels, man. Who would have known? It's going to happen. And they're all flapping and flying around. Praise him. Praise him. They're all just dancing and singing. And the other guys were like the Buckingham Palace soldiers. They just stand there completely unaffected by these other guys and whatever they were doing. It was, it was just an amazing event. To and, and were there tourist angels? And then, you know, you know that were there were there paparazzi angels to take photographs? And, you know, what other kinds of angels were there there, you know? Watch it. And angels and the armies of heaven are there to welcome the almighty God when he comes to visit the earth in something like that. And so I'm, what I'm telling you, this isn't like a conference. We just say, oh, what a good idea that would be. This is something like God has ordained from heaven 
to transform people's lives. Yeah, that's the punchline there. That's right. So all of this was designed to make you believe that, hey, listen, our conference isn't like, you know, any other conference. This is God-ordained from heaven for life transformation. Listen again to the end of the sales pitch regarding the fictional account of all of these party angels and, and army angels and the uh, rehearsal angels and all that kind of stuff. This is something like God is ordained from heaven to transform people's lives and to come into your world and make a difference. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel bad for all the other churches out there that don't have this kind of special conference ordained by God for life transformation. I mean, everybody else, you know, God doesn't really care about them or those churches. He really cares about, you know, C3, though, yeah. And I share that with you because you, got, you need to know that when we read the Bible, like just what we read, there was an angel leading Ezekiel deeper and deeper. And there are angels that want to take you and lead you deeper and deeper. And if we can... Fu- yeah, and in fact, the fact that you're twisting Ezekiel in order to kind of make your point regarding your presence conference proves that God the Holy Spirit is not the one who has specially ordained a special sacramental dispensation for life transformation at your conference. Why? Because you're wrongly handling God's word and twisting it, because that's not what Ezekiel is about there in that passage. Follow that. And if you could think of me, maybe, just now as that angel measuring out 1,500 meters for you to walk. So now, all of a sudden, Phil Pringle's an angel. Yeah, think of him as an angel. To get knee-deep and then another 1,500. Come on, let's go a little deeper. Come on, let's go all the way for your sake. We're not going to lead you into things that will hurt you that are bad for you or that kind of thing. We only have your best interest and the kingdom of God in our hearts. And one thing that we are dead... Yeah, if you have their best interest in mind, why aren't you rightly handling God's word? And why are you telling this fictional story about these angels and the special dispensation for life transformation at your pro- at your uh, conference? Hmm? Desperate for is not just for every individual in here to get blessed, but our whole church to be blessed and our whole movement around the world, C3 Global, to get touched and empowered for a whole new day to go to a whole new level in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So let's all stand here tonight. And uh, as we come to a close, I want you to realize that Jesus is alive. Well, that's true. And there are angels working on planet Earth. For, yeah, there are angels that, uh, that are ministering spirits for the saints. For you and with you. And I know that if we go into that arena of, of, of worship and the supernatural, just while a band are coming, thanks, you and I can touch a new dimension in our life. Uh, touch a new dimension. Uh, yeah, wow. Whew, sounds so spiritual. I have no idea what it means. What a cue sappy music, by the way. This is to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now falling on the people there in the audience in order to get them to make decisions. In this particular case, it's to make the decision to come to the Presence Conference. I'm sure it's only like $100 a person to attend, you know. What a disaster to go through our entire life and never have an empowering moment like I'm talking about with the Father. To go into a, a zone where we meet with Him and we're touched for eternity. Yeah, you can't get that at church, you know. You can only get it at the Presence Conference. i just like everybody to stay in their seats if we could for these last two minutes. Whenever I talk about stuff like that, I can feel a change in the atmosphere. Oh, yeah, you can. What's it feel like? You know, because, you know, Robert Hodgkin was talking about, you know, the, the change in the season kind of thing. He felt it in September of last year. 
so that we we realize that we're not alone. God is with us in all kinds of ways, creating an environment in our homes, in our hearts, in our families. Yeah, God's creating environments. You keep it alive with the spirit of worship. I try. Yeah, we keep it alive by the spirit of worship. It's all. It's all upon us. It's our. It's our duty. You know? I protect the atmosphere in our in our home. Protect the atmosphere in my head. I don't let stuff in there or too much of anything that's. I mean, sometimes we've we've closed down two movies or three movies. You know, like you try to find one that's not going to make you cringe every two minutes. It can get difficult in the end. You can give up sometimes. You say, oh, let's read a book or have, have coffee. Or... Atmosphere, the presence of God. And we make a choice about what atmosphere we're going to have. Your environment will define you. Mm-hmm. You make a choice about the atmosphere, right? And your environment will define you. Which biblical text is saying this again? You'll turn into the shape of, the, of your surroundings. What we... Well, I live in rectangular rooms. I, I guess I'll become square pretty soon here. We surround ourselves with deeply impacts us, deeply affects us. You know, uh, I just want to ask a question. I'm not sure if... No, these guys have done that But uh, before I arrive. But before I finish here, uh, I just would like to ask this question. If, if there's anybody here, you've never prayed that prayer where you say, God... I want you in my life. And so now we're going to end with uh, an evangelistic altar call without ever preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Just, just God, I want you in my life. That somehow is what uh, it causes you to be born again now. <sighs> I think you get the point. I don't need to belabor it. Yeah, nothing you heard there was... <laughs> was a right handling of God's Word. In fact, that was a sermon, and that was a very long infomercial for the Presence Conference, complete with a, uh, a very long fictional account of, uh, of you know, these, all these different angels who came and, and showed that, uh, that God, the Holy Spirit himself, has given a special life transformational dispensation, sacramental at that, to the Presence Conference. So if you want to come and soak at the Presence Conference and experience life transformation, know this, that God himself has made this a specific place in which his presence is going to be in like no other. And, and so you got to come and, and just soak, and then you'll experience life transformation. You'll probably get a, a, you know, a, a raise at work and a, you know, a promotion as a result of it. Right. Yeah, and none of that has anything to do with Ezekiel Chapter 47. <sighs> yeah, I think you get the point. Yeah, no Jesus, no cross, no repentance, no forgiveness of sins, n- nothing focusing on Jesus. In fact, it really, the focus of that sermon was Phil Pringle. Yeah, not Jesus. Oh, he, he read a little bit of God's Word, but not interested in actually telling you at all accurately what the true sense of that passage is all about. So does your pastor, when he reads the Word, does he actually, through his illustrations and his commentary, help you better understand God's Word so that you understand the right sense of what that passage says and what it means and what God has revealed there? Or do they just use God's Word as kind of a pretext for launching off to talk about other things that they're more interested in talking about, their agenda ruling rather than Christ's? 
something to consider. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.